This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com, of course, powered by The Race Talk, and we thank our great friends also at Truck Assist who help us out throughout the year. Richard Crail, good day to you. Hey, Shebexter. How are you, mate? Uh, I'm glad you're back in the hosting chair. It was a big responsibility on my shoulders last week. He did a bloody good job, though. I tell you that, Dale Rogers, didn't he? He did, Shebex, and uh, yes, he obviously knocked Mark Walker out of the park, so uh, but, yeah, good to have you back, Tone, and uh, looking forward to this week. Great to be back too, guys. We've got a lot to talk about. Of course, we had a massive addition uh, of the Shannons Nationals at Sandown. We'll go through all that. Chris Lambden to join us in just one tick to talk about the debut of the S5000. We'll cover off on Formula One, some uh, supercar news as well. But while we've got the chance, boys, let's go straight to him now and say a very good day to Chris Lambden and the debut of the S5000s. G'day, Chris. How are you? Hi there, guys. I'm going to start off with the uh, – I'm sure you've been asked this a few times since Sunday, but are you like a a, a first-time dad? Are you you a proud father over what we saw on the weekend? Uh, You are right. I have been asked that, and um, I've never been the father of triplets, but I imagine it's probably something like that. (laughs) Chris, uh, we – Stood together at, at Sydney Motorsport Park three years ago when the very first prototype, uh, the Formula Thunder 5000 at the time, rolled out. Um, and, and it instantly drew people in and it instantly had people captivated about what could be. Uh, on the weekend, we had 13 cars on track at Sandown, comfortably the biggest ever crowd at a Shannon's Nationals round at that venue and most of the other ones as well, ever. Um, can you can you believe the process and and the journey to get to this point three years down the road almost to the weekend uh, of, of having your baby finally up and running and being a living breathing thing? Yeah, look, it was a bit of a roller coaster, wasn't it? As you guys know, uh, and it was three years ago. Um, and look, it was funny. There were a couple of little hurdles along the way, uh, and a couple, and one in particular, I thought we were dead in the water, uh, but. Funnily enough, we sort of came out of each of those issues in a better position than when we'd started. And so what we've ultimately ended up with in terms of a car is just exactly, you know, I, I can't pick a fault with it now. It's uh, It does everything I wanted the car to do in terms of performance and, you know, um, drivability and lack of aero and all that stuff. But, but it's also now in a totally safe, 2018 FIA spec, etc., uh, chassis, and so you know it's got some longevity from here. Um, and as you say, based on the, the crowd at the weekend and, and the races that I thought um, were actually tremendous, um, you know I think we've almost got the the formula about right. Chris, you you um, you probably didn't see a lot from the grandstand, but uh, obviously you're in the pit lane. But we're in the media centre, we we were very impressed with the fact that it was a little bit of a return to old Sandown because the the feature race was in fact the S5000. The TCR almost played a support role, but seeing almost one day of the of the grandstand stand up when open wheels came onto the track, uh, the people that, that remember it was it was a fantastic moment, and these cars down that straight on the grandstand just sounded fantastic. So. 
from here, what, what are the, the real things that you've learned from the weekend that, that need to, to go back into this car? Um, well, the key thing that, uh, that I think was confirmed to me, thank goodness, was that our decision to go with modest aero uh, has worked. They were able to run almost nose to tail, and as you saw, it was quite competitive. There was a lot of passing yeah. going on. And that, to me, was the biggest uh, reward, if you like, from the weekend was seeing that. Um, the other stuff, absolutely, as you say, like them getting off the line, uh, past the stands. I had a friend who was across the track at Dandenong Road, um, and he said he could hear the crowd yelling and screaming and, and standing mm. up. And mm. you're right, it's been a few years since that's been the case at Sandon. So, you know, um, honestly, it, um, it, it, it delivered in a, in a way, it delivered everything I kind of hoped it would. Um, and even the, you know, the downside of the, of, of the big crash on Sunday, um, it was the fence that came off second best. The car itself, the tub was actually undamaged and Alex, uh, stepped out of it without a scratch. So, you know, that's another box ticked in terms of safety. So, you know, it delivered in safety terms and it delivered in on track terms. It delivered in engine sound terms. And I think the racing at the front was just terrific. Chris, I haven't been that excited for a new category of racing for a long, long time, and it really captured my imagination on Sunday. And one thing that I was so looking forward to, and it was the first time that I actually heard 13 of them at once, was the sound of these cars. And I always had a concern about the noise decibel levels and keeping in that sand down range. You did that well with the mufflers. I'm assuming, though, that there will be some races that I'm putting towards the Australian Grand Prix where there may be those restrictions <laughs> may be lifted and these things might sound even better again. That's entirely possible. Um, yeah, look, we did work quite hard to make sure we you know, uh, reached the 95 decibel standard that's required at circuits like Sandown. Uh, and in fact, on when we very first ran on Friday, we were hitting 96 and 97. Uh, but we had a, a second version of the... Uh, the exhaust system tip with a tiny little baffle in which which made the difference. So we met the noise standards. Um, and yes, you're right. There are circuits where I, I believe that the rules are such that, that you're, you're meant to actually have 95 decibel limit at all circuits in Australia, but some circuits choose not to uh, police it too hard. So my guess is that at the Grand, Grand Prix and places like the Bend, possibly Sydney Motorsport Park, that uh, it might not be pleased too much, yes. Nice. <laughs> and that'll be yeah, cool. I, yeah, massively. And, and I would suggest that, that the bend especially uh, open those things up and, and standing on the pit bunker there <laughs> and then blazing up the hill towards turn five and six is going to be a pretty pretty exceptional noise. Um, I want to talk about Ruben Farrakello, um because he was a, I was a fan of his from when I was a kid watching him in the Adelaide Grand Prix in, in the Jordan era and was, was lucky enough to talk to him about that over the weekend. But I, I don't think you could have got a better uh, a better first-time international to bring down to launch that category in terms of a big name because not only was he friendly, personable, great with the media, brilliant with the fans, but he drove the thing bloody well and had that, feature race on the distance may well have had a, a crack at winning it. Um, are you, you content with that decision to, I suppose, invest in bringing Rubens and making him part of the show and, and what you got out of that as a category? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. I don't think we could have, we, I don't think we could have done better. And, 
uh, I agree with everything you said. The guy's personality is just fantastic. Um, and, you know, sometimes people come out of the Formula One bubble and they're a little bit, uh, shall we say, reserved, but he's just tremendous. And from the moment he got here, he um, he actually raced in Brazil the previous Sunday in the Brazilian Spockart Championship, won his race, coincidentally, uh, raced for directly from the track to the airport to get here for Tuesday morning. Uh, you guys were at uh, the press conference. And he's been flat out all week. Um, and he ended up at the footy, the AFL, on Friday night. Um, mm-hmm. That came out of a conversation. Literally, we were driving around on Tuesday. And I, I said, oh, there's a really big song on at the MCG on Friday night. And uh, he indicated he wouldn't mind going. And, you know, one way or another, we managed to get hold of the um, commercial uh, director at, at the Richmond Club who used to work at SPR. So that all worked really well. Uh, he knew everything. He knew why that Rubens was here and why. And so... The next thing, Rubens is there. Um, we're praying that uh, Richmond win because then he's down in the rooms and, as you probably saw, being interviewed by Brian Taylor, which is a bit of a uh, nightmare yeah, situation for anybody. Yeah. Um, but it was so funny because halfway through the game, we got a text saying, man, the atmosphere here is just unbelievable, you know, but uh, I haven't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> so uh, by the end of the game, he'd cotton on to some of the rules, but, you know, that's the guy. And as you say, he was great with the media, but you're also right in that the professional side of him was getting that car sorted um, every time he went out there. And you're right, um, had the race gone its distance, I'd have thought he'd been right in the frame at the end. And, um, you know, yes, tick, 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 couldn't agree, couldn't have got a better guy. Chris, the bend will be interesting, uh, another race, another uh, different circuit, but I'm sure the cars will be great there. But I guess that the real focus then will be for you presenting this this formula to a very different crowd at Albert Park uh, next March. Uh, would I be would be fair to say that uh, a, a Barrichello type of character might well be welcome back in March to run at the Grand Prix? Oh, absolutely! Look, Rubens wants to come back. You know, he, he had a great time. He loved it. Um, oh, and his initial decision to say yes to come here, as he told, as he said when he was here, took two minutes. You know, we approached him via Greg Siddle, Peewee, in Sydney. Yep. And yep. literally, uh, once we'd explained what it was about, sent him a couple of videos, he said, man, I'm coming, you know. Uh, and he wants to come back for the Grand Prix, so he's absolutely top of my list in terms of what we put together for that. Um, I think having our opening championship round at the Grand Prix is just brilliant, and I think we might well find uh, they need to build a few more cars before then. Mm, that's great, Chris. One the, um, oh, sorry, on, on the Barrichello on, on the airport one, I just I had to ask this: Did he do a John Goss and go in his race suit to the plane? <laughs> uh, in Brazil, no, no, because the city won the race, and of course had to do he had to do the uh, the podium <laughs> and the champagne and all that stuff. So I think he might have had a spare race suit ready to go. And, right, yeah. um, you know, and so on and so on. But, you know, it's just it's just a little dynamo. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've, used you know, I've, I've been fortunate to meet a number of, you know, world-class guys along the way, and he's just right up there. I, I just, it was just fabulous. Chris, out, out from what you saw on the weekend in regards to racing wise, is there anything that pops up as a concern that needs to be addressed with the cars? And, and I suppose uh, to an extent I'm pointing a little bit to the cars' reaction to cold tyres and just how they do work on mm. cold tyres? Yeah, I think out of the whole week, um, that was the one area of the car that was, particularly on Wednesday when a number of them were new to it, 
um, was, was and we were at Phillip Island. It was very, very cold, and getting tire temperature was not easy. Um, you know, one guy crashed uh, as a result, um, but you know, eleven others didn't. So, you know, this is not the kind of car that you can hop in and you know arrive on the straight and just floor your foot. Even when the tyres are up to temperature, if, you, if that's what you think it's about, then you need to be racing a Formula Ford. Um, you know, they are tricky to drive. Um, but the tyre temperature thing was it was an issue at Phillip Island, and it's something that we can address over time. I don't think it's going to be a problem from here on, uh, particularly over the summer, because the tyre we used was tested and collected in, in sort of summery conditions. Um, but it is something we have to, to, to keep an eye on, and that's why we... You possibly noticed we had two warm-up laps for each race yeah. at uh, Sandown so, it, so that they could get temperature into the tyre. Um, I guess the only other disappointment I had over the weekend wasn't really cars. It was more the fact that Sandown is bumpier than ever, and that, that doesn't really help an open-wheeler land. Um, it's a shame they appear to have resurfaced it over the old bumps rather than shaved the bumps. And so that was a bit of a challenge for some of them. Um but uh, really, car-wise and mechanically-wise, they never missed a beat. All 13 cars ran, you know, on a train all weekend. I think one of them had a fuel pressure issue in one race, and that was it. Um, so, you know, the I keep saying to people, the the, the whole car is just a, a tribute to the, the smart people there are in Australian motorsports in an engineering sense. You know, we tend to look look to England and America and bow down, but there's nothing on that car that is out of place on on a world level in terms of its quality, and I think that's terrific. Yeah, and and the teams that ran them as well, I thought did a did a super job from your your BRMs and ATIs to the GRM running there too, and uh, MTech Motorsport who were super and obviously won the first race with with our mate Timmy Macro. Um, Kenny Smith was there on the weekend, and and he's a legend of the sport, and I. Had the 14th car been available, you probably would have had to prize him out of that. But um, <laughs> he, he's the barometer of, of New Zealand wings and slicks racing. And, and there's an obvious link, obviously, that, that getting these things over there at some point. And, and I'll throw the name Tasman Series out there. It doesn't need to be that, but it'd be cool. Um, what, what's, the, what's the sort of pathway on that? And, and can you see that as being a, a viable option down the road into getting some cars to NZ and, and perhaps running something over the summer or even over the winter between the two countries? Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, as you know, that's always been in the back of my mind from the start because um, that was, back in the day, uh, the highlight of, of Formula 5000. So, but first of all, we've just got to get our domestic series in place and that's starting to come together and I don't think that'll be too far away. But, you know, when you've got a series here that starts at the Grand Prix and ends at Bathurst, that's going to be pretty cool. Um, and yes, I'd love to do some races in New Zealand over the summer. Um, you know, I don't want to clash with TRS in New Zealand. Um, and, and I think they are different things. One, one's for 16 and 7-year-olds and, and ours is for perhaps a year or two older than that. Um, but, you know, if we can work something out in New Zealand, I'd absolutely love to do it over there. Um, Kenny is amazing. Like, um, I reckon Rubens will be like him in, uh, <laughs> what, in 25 years' time. Kenny is 76. Yeah. Uh, he's still winning races, and he was standing there at the weekend, absolutely, you know, hopping from one foot to the other. I'll make a little bet with you. I, I reckon it's 50 50. I reckon he might try and get himself into a car for the Grand Prix in Melbourne. Oh, I'd, I'd take that. <laughs> I'd take your money for that. Yeah. 
Yeah. The odds are too short, actually. You wouldn't put money on it, I think. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, his mentor is <clears throat> Tom Alexander, who, who was racing the course. And look, he understands that... Uh, that, that his age is probably just dropped off a little, but certainly in historic Formula 5,000, he's win, still winning races, and that amazes me. Um, what well, doesn't amaze me is because he's never stopped, you see, and if you never stop, your brain keeps working, and so he's still got a racing brain. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'd, I'd like to see him involved, uh, but he's going to be the driving force behind it in New Zealand. Uh, I would think he's given it the big tick, so, um, you know, and I've had a couple of phone calls from New Zealand since the weekend asking about cars and budgets. So, you know, the news is spreading fast. Chris, um, some of our listeners might not know that after your uh, your Group A uh, exploits in the, in the Smith and Skyline, you also did run a Formula 5000 for a couple of years. Um, and I guess that the, the, some of the, the, the bug came out of that, of actually having that, uh, that McRae that you own. Um, is there any chance you might be able to have a steer of this one? <laughs> well, that's how this kind of started. You know, um, as you know, I used to own Motorsport News Publishing Company, and that we, I sold that. And the bucket list thing I had was to just to have a drive, actually, in, in a in a Formula Five Thousand car. And I met up with um, David Abbott, who's the sort of guru in New Zealand. He's the mover and shaker. And he said, "Oh, we're having a bit of a drive day. You know, uh, come over." And, you know, people say that stuff all the time and they never follow through, but he did. So I ended up there, actually, the first car I I ever drove was the ex-Warwick Brown Lola uh, T430, sorry, that he owns. And that is uh, unbelievable. I've got a photo of it somewhere. And, yeah, I decided to have a go at it, um, which I did for two years. I half-owned a car, et cetera, et cetera. And, man, you know, before you die, it's something you have to do. Honestly, if you're in <laughs> motorsport, it might actually be the same day, but you've got to do it um, because when, when you put your foot down for the first time, your brain actually exits through the back of your skull. It's just unbelievable stuff. So, yeah, I did it for two years and, you know, modest results, but that's what started me thinking about it, about how good it would be to have a, not just a copy of it, but a modern formula sort of based on the best things of, that came out of that era. And uh, that's certainly... Certainly started it. In terms of driving this car, no, I hadn't even sat in one of these cars um, because from a PR sense, I don't want photos around of an old guy sitting in uh, these cars because <laughs> this has got to be about young guys. But but one of these days, um, I'm going to organise a track day just quietly and do a few laps, absolutely, because I'm, I'm really keen to, to see what it's like to drive with the paddle gear change. Uh, because on obviously the historic cars that had the old H pattern gearbox, yeah. and I am deaf to H pattern gearboxes, so it'll be a quite a thrill to, to drive it, but um, not yet. Chris, a final one for you, and we do thank you so much for your time so far today. There's been in the last three to four years since this all started, and and the talk of the cars has been so many different changes and roadblocks and brick walls that you've hit and had to turn around and crash through and the like. Was there many points in the last three to four years that you thought, this just not going to happen? Yep. The day I discovered that, I've got to be careful what I say here in terms of adjectives, um, the day I discovered that supercars were going to copy the concept was not a good day. Mm. Uh, you know, they're a huge organisation. Um, and the guy who had gone to them to do it had actually been part of our project. And uh, that was a pretty tough time because we thought we were gone. 
um, you know, we're a pretty small time, um, and I had a fair bit of my own resources tied up in it. Uh, and to discover that, uh, yeah, the blood drained out of my face that day. Um, but ultimately, again, as I said earlier, we came out of that better off because A, the car that guy designed was a pile of rubbish, uh, and B, I was then able to approach Brian Boyd, uh, who owns Pace, who'd been kind of roped into that a little bit, yeah. uh, and we agreed to go forward together. The other car got thrown in the tip, and away we went. And, and it, it's been Brian Boyd's backing and push and dedication that's, that's actually made it happen. Um, and most recently, obviously, aided by Gary and Gary Rogers coming in to actually build the car. So, you know, that that was a horrible up time, um, but out of it came all the good things that have made it happen. So it's kind of weird, really. Anything else, boys? I, I did cut the interview short on you there, but if you've got a final one. No, no, I, I just, um, I, all I can say is that it's, I, I'm an open wheel theorist from when I was a kid standing on the fence watching the Grand Prix in Adelaide and then Formula Holden and then in my early days as, as working in the sport, it was working with a Wings and Flicks team with BRN. So I, I, it's just the coolest thing that's happened to sporting yeah. in my, my lifespan in it. So um, I'm, I'm just so hopeful and positive about its future that it, it can be it can be something really special and really uh, really either headline its own show or be an amazing part of events like the Grand Prix or whatever it needs to be I think it can be it so congratulations it's been an amazing journey and uh, I, I reckon it's only just starting for where this category can uh, and hopefully will go yeah look I, thanks for that that's, that's, that's appreciated and look that's the vibe we got out of the weekend that's the first race that's day one um, the, the series that's coming together for next year is going to be pretty special and so yes I, I, I think there's uh, you know the sky's the limit New Zealand Asia who knows but um, so far so good the key thing is the car's delivered what, what I wanted it to and um, you know we're Tom was upwards from there so thanks guys Go on, Chris. Yeah, great Chris and really good Chris Lambden joining us here on The Grid. Well, there you have it, boys. It really was an exciting weekend for so many different reasons, but without a doubt, Crosby, I think you summed it up beautifully just towards the end there. That launch of the S5000 for the very first time on a track here in Australia in anger, not just testing but in anger, was just an exciting thing. Chebec, it's the first category, and and Dale, you've been around it a lot longer than I have, but... It's the first category I've, and yes, that was a bit of a, a savage rage. Uh, I've, um, <laughs> it, it's the first category I've seen in my time in the sport, first new category that I think legitimately has the potential to bring people to the racetrack and pay money to watch car racing. Correct. So su- supercars do that, and they do it for all the right reasons. A, they've got history, but B, they're loud, they're noisy, they're exciting, and even if it's not a good race, the product itself is still fun, whether they're crashing over the curves with the Adelaide 500 or, or whatever. Um, TCR is, is great, but I just don't see Australian race fans walking up in tens of thousands to watch Hyundai i30s. I, I, I just don't think that's what will happen. GT racing is brilliant, but outside of the Bathurst 12-hour, it's the same situation, and they've, they've engineered themselves to a standstill anyway. But these things... They are proper, serious, loud, fast, exciting race cars that make the right noise, that are properly quick, 
without being terrifying. Um, so at Mount Panorama, they're going to be pretty, pretty bloody exciting. Um, and, and it just, I, I don't know, I could be wrong. It might not work, but it, but it's got the best opportunity of anything in the sport at the moment to bring people through the gate, paying money to watch car racing. And the bottom line is that is what the sport desperately needs. Yep. So um, I, I could not back it harder. And, and I will put my bias out there right now um, that, that this is my just favourite thing going around. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's terrific. I'm, I'm struggling in the afterglow of the weekend to look at it with objectivity and, and pick it apart. There, there are things that I, I reckon can change, but um, but right now I just, just couldn't be more pro it. I'll take that as a compliment that I've been around watching this because I actually did watch one of the stand down <laughs> and I actually watched Johnny Walker uh, take out the guardrail further up the track at uh, what was Marlborough Country at that point. Yep. So it was a little bit of deja vu the other day. But uh, look, I reckon that there's, you, you, you're right, but, but there's something that I think sort of missing here. And that, that was two things that really occurred to me. One was that we have we have a very strong state racing culture in this country, and Shannon's has tried to do this sort of in between, um, uh, you know, the, the international series, as you will, with the supercars that you know the a main show and the state-level racing, but it's never quite achieved it because it's really for the competitors and it's been a great series. But all of a sudden, if you put S5000, TCR, TA2, um, GT to get itself together, Formula Ford, Touring Car Masters, masters, Mm. and you put that on as a a show, wow, that all of a sudden, you've got the real essence of what great motor racing movies Mm. used to be. A lot of categories. Um, you know, not necessarily long races, but, but action on track, a great variation of cars, and dare I say it, because we love it, four or five categories that make beautiful V8 noises. So I, I think it's, it's the genesis of what really could be a, a completely viable and profitable series uh, for pundits to go along to. And you throw the, you know, throw the Porsche GT Challenge into that, um, yeah, it's a river meeting. And, and the other thing I thought was really fascinating on the weekend was just who you ran into out there. Mm-hmm. Peewee Siddle we saw. Ross Stone was there. Brad mm-hmm. Jones was there. John Banner was there. Alan Moffat was there. Fred Gibson was there. It was an eclectic mix of people that had come David to see Siegel. David Siegel was there. Oh, yeah, David Siegel was there. Uh, Fogarty and I had to actually walk him by the hand down to remember where the pips were, but David yeah. Siegel was there. <laughs> David Hassel was there. So, you know, we've really, we've, we've, for those of you who know the, the motoring journalists, but what I'm getting at is that this brought out some of the really um, storied people in this, in this industry. And they were there to, to not only just to look, but to really say, yeah, this is, this is as a package, the start of something pretty cool. And uh, mm-hmm. you'd walk along the, walk along the, the, the pit lane there. And, and it, it was, it was really quite a weird thing. It was like going to a, a, a meeting, you know, maybe a decade ago. Easy to say there's a lot of older citizens in the, in the thing, but there are a lot of young people there as well. So for me, great start. And I just hope that Australia de- delivers to our fans a very, very viable second alternative to the Supercars. Not to put anything against the Supercars Championship. We oh. need a second viable category, you know, race meeting in this country for our promoters. Yeah, no, so true. And uh, while there were smiles uh, plenty around the uh, course in regards to the launch of the S5000 and also uh, other things as well, 
There's a little bit of heartbreak going on in uh, one of the categories, especially, and that was the Super 3 Series. Richard, the Kumos, uh, gee whiz, there was heartbreaking for Jane Nojada, who just probably let that title slip, and great work by Brock Feeney to take it. Yeah, look, Shavik, it's been a remarkable championship, and we've documented it at length at times uh, in, in on the grid this year and on the racetalk.com as well. It, it, the racing quality has been terrific, and and I've said it a few times that if, if you look at the spread of young drivers in Kumo Super 3 and Michelin and GD3 Cup Challenge, and both categories were there, there are 10 supremely talented young race car drivers in those two grids that just give you hope for the future of our sport, be they going overseas or, or eventually going into a professional career here, because they're all fast, they're all talented. And for the most part, they're all really good with the press and they're positive and they're, they're a bit quirky and they've got attitude and they've got an X factor. Like Brock Feeney, the 16-year-old teenager from the Gold Coast who can't drive on the road yet and has only been racing cars for two years um, and he's this pimply-faced, chatty guy who's a ripper kid and he's just got this really cool uh, attitude and approach to his racing about it. Um, Jade Nojada is the, the slick open wheel graduate. He's got the nickname The Juice, which I love. He's got a character, um, and, and he fought in a little privateer team and won three rounds and very nearly won the championship. So the, but the thing that, that got me the most of X was the way that, that he managed not winning the championship, and, and he was okay with it. He was like, you know what? It, it's disappointing, of course. You want to win, but we're a privateer team. We started round one. We didn't even have an engineer on the car. We won three rounds in a row. We won plenty of races. We bounced back. Um, he's a terrific young bloke. And, and Feeney won with um, with modesty and with humility as well. So um, just just all-round terrific championship. Hamish Rubrics, I thought, was spectacular this year as well. Um, for whatever reason, Matt White, you know, he had three really good cars. Just didn't quite get it all together uh, when it counted, unfortunately, that team this year. For whatever reason, that might have been. And, uh, Rupert and Zach Best and, and the rookie Nick Carroll had mixed seasons, but terrific championship, delivered a lot, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm really really proud of those kids actually with the way that they um, they put a put a season together and, and a finale on the weekend. It's really nice, Dale, to see that we do have that pathway developing now in supercars. For a long time, it had just been the development series, the Dunlop series that was uh, feeding supercars and it became Super 2. And now with the attachment of Super 3, as a 16-year-old, you can start to work your way through to hopefully a supercar berth a few years after. And it's nice to see. Yeah, it is, Tony. And I, the, the, the word is uh, from supercars is that uh, Super 2 will get a bit of a, a much-loved or much-needed attention next year as well. And if that's the case, uh, having a good springboard from Super 3 might mean the Super 2 Championship, which has been a little off, I think, this year. I mean, the numbers are down a little bit. Um, yep. But it'd be great to see supercars really get behind that because to get the three levels right will be a great thing for Australian motorsport. And, you know, and in a lot of cases, you know, the young guys, this is their passion. It's, it's not about going to Europe and trying to emulate uh, Daniel Ricciardo or Mark Webber because it's just out of their reach. This could well be a, a pathway that now the, the steps are there. So I hope the Super, Super 2 exercise works next year. It needs a bit of a uh, – it needs it needs some attention, needs some TLC. Uh, but clearly the Super 3 kids are ready to rock and roll, and I think that any of those ones would, 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 
would really do very well in, in the Super 2 Championship as it stands. But, uh, yeah, good pathway, and uh, I think we've got some great young talent coming through. Yeah, we certainly And Shevex, I'll, I'll just jump in quickly. That, that it's probably we can calculate the index down the road, and, and it might be a topic for, for next week as we start working our way towards, towards the mountain. But the, the one thing I think supercars need to do, and they've got a lot on their plate, is they need to invest in that, that pathway. Um, yep. Porsche in Australia, and, and you and I have been privy to that because we, we get to call the championships, but Porsche has got it right with a pathway that offers not necessarily all the funding, but some funding towards these young drivers, where in supercars there's nothing. It's down to the team and, and the driver and their budget to do it. So I, I think there needs to be at least an investigation into how they could find some backing to give, mm. you know, Brock Feeney's won the championship, and then they go, right, well, here's a hundred grand to you running Super 2 next year, or here's your Super 2 entry fee for free, or here's your tyres for next year for free. Perfect. Just something that helps. Yep. Um, mm. Where Porsche, mm. with, with the Michelin Junior Program, have that. So, um, and, and indeed, in the States, we've seen that as well with the Road to Indy. So it's something worth looking at, um, but I think the growth of Super 3 this year will just naturally help that anyway. So I think it's mm. real positive. Will Brown had a fantastic weekend claiming the TCR crown. I caught up with him, gentlemen, after he was crowned uh, this year's inaugural TCR champion. This is what he had to say. Catching up with Will Brown. Mate, what an interesting day. TCR racing and S5000. You couldn't get any more different, could you? Yeah, that's right. It, uh, it caught me out in the TCR car. I spun it all by yeah. myself on lap one, so that was disappointing, but uh, able to fight back from obviously last by you know a third of a lap to get back to seventh, and uh, that secured us the championship, which is fantastic. Yeah, which is fantastic news, and Dylan, of course, going off as well, which sort of helped all that stuff happen. Uh, mate, it's been a great year again for you, and, and taking a championship in TCR, adding that to the couple that you've won over the last couple of years, it's really starting to put a good CV together, isn't it? Yeah, it's been awesome. I've obviously, I've obviously won three Australian Championships now and uh, since I've been racing cars I've only entered in five so it's been fantastic to get those ones and uh, Super 2's been a bit tough but you know we'll work on that and uh, see where our future leads. S5000s mate, what do you think of those? What do you make of those? Yeah they're a fantastic category, they're hard to drive and uh, they're a bit of a beast but that's that's part of the fun of it so it's just about getting a bit more time in them and understanding them a bit more. It's a shame we didn't get more racing time today. Yeah it was a bit of a shame but uh, you know, at least everyone's okay. Congratulations on the championship mate, well done. Thank you. Another one of those guys boys that we uh, know has got a, a potential as a very good driver down the track. Yeah, and we, we spoke about the young driver, Dale, in the sport, and he's one of them. He's, he's been terrific. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's, he's great fun. The, the thing I love most about Will Brown is, A, he'll drive anything, and B, the lunatic, he's a, he's a hilarious guy to have around, and, and he's got a great personality, which is, when you're trying to market the sport, um, they're the kind of drivers you want to have, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think the fact that he, he's willing to jump in on S5000, jump in on anything, but he, you know, clearly he's got the talent. Yeah, he has struggled in this too, uh, Super Two this year. But the, um, I think the Eagleston team struggled a little bit as well. So it's probably, you know, no, no sly on him. But great year for him, really. And the TCO, the inaugural TCO, and it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, he's on for bigger and better things. He's obviously got a, a steer with uh, with the Erebus team again this year. Uh, made a few mistakes in supercars in his, in his first year, so I think I think the the, grit, the, the world's looking at him this year with with uh, Anton to to really deliver this year, and there's no reason why he can't. Max Vidal and Aaron Love, Krause in the GG3 Cup Challenge, uh, really duking it out. But one would think that probably Max's lead now, heading into the final round, the bend in a few weeks' time, is probably insurmountable. 
Uh, well, Harry James leading the championship. Yeah, Max Max won the race on Sunday, which was good. But Harry, sorry, Harry, yes, correct. Uh, yeah, he's he's just had this remarkable streak of of finishing races on the podium, and and on two of the three occasions on the weekend, he was in fifth or sixth position, and and it didn't even look like he was going to get a trophy, uh, and then just manages to MacGyver his way up into the top three. So, and that that wins championships, um, podium finishes, or what or what does it? That consistency over the the course of the year. So, no, he, look, he's been great. It's and again, like like Super Three, it's just been terrific racing all season long, and. With a round to go at the bend, Harry's got a, a almost ninety-point championship lead. It's a lot, not insurmountable. And um, with the drama we've seen, um, it may be, it may, it could still be hard work. There's no doubt for the Queenslander, but um, uh, the gloves will be off. He still the Enduro Cup on the weekend as well. So, look again. I'm sounding like a broken record this show, but another terrifically talented young Aussie race car driver with a really, really bright future and. Uh, I'd, I'd love nothing more than to see him wrap the championship up this year and progress himself up to Carrera Cup, where I suspect we may well find Aaron Love next year as well, following in the footsteps of his guru brother Jordan. So um, that's that pathway we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. And Dale, I'm pretty sure that you might have wanted to see superbikes more so than the Australian GTs at Sandown on the weekend. <laughs> no, I probably would have stuck with the GTs, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can someone explain to me think, three one-hour races that actually constitute a three-hour race? Well, well the thing was yeah. is that I got so much work done with uh, with Chris. I actually interviewed Chris Landon down there for an article, upcoming article on the race talk. I was able to go and talk to people. There was some noise on the circuit, but there were so few cars on track, it was no problem. So it was sort of an hour to catch up and do some work with some of the people I've been meaning to do some interviews with. So for me, it was great. Yeah, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll yeah. unpick. We'll unpick the GT problems as well in a later episode, maybe maybe after Bathurst when we've got some time. But, uh, yeah, look, it's not great. There are only four GT3 cars there, uh, and that, that hurts from a, a – I'm a GT3 fan. I love it. Um, yeah, we want it as strong as a GT. But, um, yeah, yeah, very it's, it was just, it's just not right. I mean, the, the, the weekend's program was so good. Uh, the depth of the classes was so good, and unfortunately you had uh, you know something that was taking major track time uh, really falling over, so it was disappointing. But it was probably the only blight on the weekend, really. The rest of big tick. Well, there was another blight on the weekend. I thought it was uh, the treatment of a couple of drivers in F one, gentlemen. First of all, Daniel Ricciardo to lose his qualification over the fact that his engine revved by one millionth of a second or something, or whatever it was, over the allowable limit was just on the second on his second fastest lap. It wasn't even his fastest lap. I just shake my head at the decisions they make sometimes. It really is, but now at F1 and in a lot of cases, that, that it is it is completely out of touch that it's an entertainment business and people actually wanting to, to watch it and understand it. Now, the grid penalties in, in, in the last couple of rounds have been absurd, um, but that one was a shocker. Um, Ricardo, you know, he's got every reason to be furious about it, but that's the rules, and, and that's just what the, the problem really roots back to, you know, Liberty wanting to, to run the category, but the technical group getting hold of the rules, but the FIA really are running this championship. There's no question about it. And the problem with that is, is that this the insanity that's been written into the rule book um, is really killing it. And, you know, Ricardo was qualified eighth. They, they look pretty sharp, you know, Hulkenberg behind him. So the Renaults, once again, were top 10 contenders. And given that they've got reasonable race paces, Hulkenberg certainly showed, as did Dan, to be, to be fair. 
um, it just robs the race. It completely robs the race of, of any real competition. All you've got to watch is someone like Ricardo storming through from the back, hitting people, bumping people, which is all fun if you want to watch NASCAR, but it's not watching Formula One. And it's really, really. Uh, uh, so the other thing, Tony, really was the, was the tyres, and here you have a race with the, the the top teams circulating about five to six seconds slower than an anticipated race pace, simply to get to a pit stop because the tyres were deteriorating so badly. And when they did put the uh, when they changed from the softs to the mediums at the first stop, they were three point nine seconds quicker, straight out of the box. Yeah, yeah. So. Which bit of it was the race? You know, yeah. it, it, it was. It was the, third, the first third of the race was simply. It was like long, long practice runs because they just went. We're just following each other around. So it's really in a state of flux. They, they've got to get this 2021 rule package sorted. They've got to get it to a point where some of these aero problems they've got to work. But they've got to look at the rule book and stop penalising people for stupidity. Yeah, they, they need to. They need to put a bomb under the rule book and blow it up. But the, the problem is that there's the last. Five races have, for the most part, been really good. Singapore wasn't that great, but that's never been a good Grand Prix from an no. on-track point of view. You can't pass at that place. Correct. Um, it, it's there for the event, not so much for the race itself. It's like Albert Park in that respect, in in some respects. Um, although we love we love Melbourne, great, great, great event. Um, but what it, what it's proved to me is that Liberty or Formula One, as they are now, um, are on the right track with what they're trying to do because. The, the first half of the season was pretty average quality of racing. But all of a sudden, when Ferrari are competitive and Red Bull are competitive and you've got three teams squabbling instead of one, the product is so much better, mm. which yep. just just reinforces the fact that they have to get the rules. They have to get control of the rules to get some common sense in the technical regs so that everybody can field competitive race cars or at least more than two teams in any given season. Because I watched the IndyCar race from Laguna Seca on Monday morning. I didn't actually see the Grand Prix. I was travelling home from Big Bad Sandown. The IndyCar race was terrific and had half a dozen different teams, if not more, all in the mix. Now, you don't need to go down that completely spec formula route. I'm sure there's a way to do it. Um, but the product's better when more people can win races. And, and that is the number one thing they have to fix. Um, you can get around all the grid penalties and the rubbish like that if you've still got five different blokes chopping each other up trying to win the race. Yeah. Um, that, that, for mine, is the number one thing. But, um, anyway, at least the racing's been pretty good the last couple of rounds and we've got it the team winners and, and, and a bit of bit of Barney between the Ferrari teammates. And that's yeah, how good's that? So uh, I like it. Mm. And good to, see, good to see Ferrari making uh, strategy on the run. Great to see that. Mm. Well, yeah. when you were actually read into it it, was, it, it, it looked that way. But when you actually pulled it apart, it wasn't. It was actually that they did not think that the, the tyre change would be that much quicker on a lap. So what they were trying to do was to get Mattel uh, out in front of Hamilton. Uh, but in the, what happened with the speed of the new tyres, it actually stuck the clerk. So I, I, I don't think there was anything now we've actually been able to see the times in the analysis that said that, that, that uh, we're just going to swap places here. I think the reality was that the tyre run up until the first stop was fast slower. The tyres were shot, um, but they, got, they wanted to go to get a one-stop race. They did not want to do a two-stop race. But the pickup on the new tyre was astronomically quicker than what they'd anticipated. Mm. Hey, uh, finally, guys, before we let you go, Richard, uh, Hunter McElroy, what a fantastic effort by him. 
We spoke about Jaden Ojeda just missing out on a championship here in Australia. Yeah. Well, he's missed one in America. Oh, it was his to take on a great drive to get himself up to the position he did in the final race, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah, look, they're, um, your heart breaks for the kids because he had such a fantastic season. He won three races in a row late in the season to wrestle the championship or lead away from his closest rival. Um, he was desperate to win the title. Pab's Racing, the team he's driving for, who are a really good family team, have never won that championship and they were desperate to do it as well. Um, and then they had a tech problem outside of their control and way outside of Hunter's control that ensured he, he didn't qualify for the final race of the year and started 18th and last. He finished second in race one and extended his lead, but unfortunately off the back of the grid, and the track was pretty difficult to overtake. Um, there's not nothing he could have done. He drove his heart out. He finished seventh, so he passed a dozen cars um, and ultimately lost the championship by a handful of points. But um, he can be very, very proud of what that young man's achieved this year, uh, coming out of Australian Formula Ford, the close sport championship last year uh, in a very strong USF 2000 grid. He's done great things. And uh, I know all of his backers in the McElroy family are, are very, very supportive and he'll bounce back from that. And and that was the point I was making about about Jaden Ojeda was how, well, at least externally, he managed it. And uh, and that, I think, shows really good signs that he's got the, the level of maturity and and he's got an old head on young shoulders to manage that kind of thing, and, and that will stand him in really good stead. So I think second in that championship can outstanding result. And look, IndyCar finale at Laguna was a great success. Uh, will Powers more towards the end of his IndyCar career than the start, but I reckon we may well have a, another person from this part of the world to cheer on in that series within the next five or six years, because I, uh, I think he's got what it takes. How good will that be? Gentlemen, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for your time today. The next two weeks are going to be totally dedicated, I think, to uh, our Bathurst preview because we've got so much to cover off in regards to teams and and the like and what's going to happen up there on the mountain as we uh, head up there in a couple of weeks' time. So look forward to doing that with you over the next two weeks. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. It's going to be good. It's a magical time of year, isn't it? Bathurst coming up. Cannot wait. What's going on? Yeah, it's going to be great, Tony and Rich. Look forward to next week, and we've got a couple of uh, surprises on the way with interviews coming as well. So it's going to be great on uh, on the grid with, on Powerway Race Talk. And don't forget, of course, we'll have some of our uh, Truck Assist friends uh, looking putting some special offers into the show as we move forward as well. So lots of things to come come this uh, this month. Good on you, boys. Dale Rogers and Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. That's another episode wrapped up and locked in the can. Of course, we are powered by the race talk and our great friends at Truck Assist also help us out as well. We'll catch you next week as we start our preview to Bathurst right here on mypodcasthouse.com. And-